Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gun and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, can Call of Duty regain its mojo with Black Ops 4? The Iron Fist gets silenced and how the Nightmare Before Christmas has become a cultural phenomenon at the age of 25. All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the pop culture cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the pop culture cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to all of our programs, but it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend. He is the protagonist at Humanican Media. You got to check out everything that's going on today at humanicanmedia.com, Humanican Media on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and so much more. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. Another great week ahead coming up for us in pop culture. That's right. That's right. I'm also my own antagonist sometimes, so just remember that. Absolutely. Give and take yin and yang but it is a great episode we've got coming up for you indeed we've got mike faber and kevin eldridge mike of the eso network and kevin eldridge of the Flopcast. they're going to be by a little bit later on in the program to talk a lot about what's going on with the rock and roll hall of fame because the nominees were recently announced and we're going to share our thoughts on who we think of those nominees should be the first one selected into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Plus, we also have Tyler Baker with the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. I'm going to throw out a couple questions at him in regards to some things here and there that I think are pertinent for fantasy football owners out there. But first, Josh, we've got a lot of things to talk about when it comes to pop culture. We are right in the midst, man, of a lot of good things coming out across a lot of entertainment platforms. But I think the biggest thing right now coming out is Call of Duty Black Ops 4. The yearly rendition is now back and back strong in stores. It's coming out with a lot of different things that they're adding in in the mix this time around when it comes to the campaign mode. That's gone, man. Instead, they're actually diving headfirst into the Battle Royale genre, which is so heavily populated now and so successful for games like Fortnite and PUBG, they're diving in headfirst into it with their version called Blackout. Your thoughts on Call of Duty Black Ops 4, is this something that you are going to see a resurgence in the series? Because the series has fallen a little bit off from where it reached earlier this decade when it comes to a plateau in sales, the latter end of the last decade as well. So I want to hear your thoughts, my friend. Call of Duty Black Ops 4, is it something that people are going to come back to 
in big time numbers. It's weird because over at GameBiz, they actually, I think that was the name of the site. They just, they re- released an article saying that. Gamesindustry.biz? Yeah, yeah, that one. They released an article saying that people were more anticipating Call of Duty than Red Dead Redemption 2, which was kind of weird to me. And then now that I'm like hearing people talk about it and that's out and I've talked to people who've played it, like it sounds like they're digging it quite a bit. Well, that's good to hear because some of the things that we've talked about before when it comes to Call of Duty franchise, especially you, someone who has been weaned off of the Call of Duty series and really, if he ever wants to get back into it, will be doing so kicking and screaming. So I want to hear more about why Call of Duty Black Ops 4 may be something that a lot of people may want to get back into. And is it just because they ditched the campaign and they've included a new Blackout Battle Royale mode? Yeah, so from what I understand, I I was just reading the review in progress over at Polygon, and it sounds like it's kind of like the Valve's orange box, you know, how it had a bunch of different games inside of it, and you can play Portal, Team Fortress 2, and of course Half-Life. Yeah, and while they all exist in the same, loosely I guess, in the same universe, like they're all kind of separate games. So on this one you have your standard multiplayer, I guess, and then you have your Battle Royale mode, which is what, Blackout I think it's called, and Zombies. So three different games, but from what I understand, there are like kind of story concepts inside of them. So when you start each of these game modes, you you get a cutscene that kind of does its part to tie these game modes or this Black Ops into the greater Black Op lore. That's cool, I guess. They're making an effort. I don't know if it's enough to make me want to play it, but I'm definitely interested to keep reading about it and keep talking to people about it. And maybe one day, I guess, if it's on sale on Black Friday, I could be persuaded to pick it up. But again, like I only play multiplayer games when I have people to play them with. So I, it's not something I go out of my way to play by myself, but... It sounds like it's it's doing well, and I know as far as the scoring system on Battle Royale goes, it's not ideal, but people are, are enjoying it a little bit, so we'll see how it holds up against Fortnite in the long run, but what do you think about it? I still have my doubts about it because of the fact that are they going to be able to duplicate the success of PUBG and especially Fortnite? Are they going to have a mode that actually challenges the likes of those two and people will go streaming into their neck of the woods as opposed to what they were doing so far with PUBG and Fortnite. The first thing I will tell you, it will be hard to wean any of those players that are playing Fortnite for free, like me on occasion, and actually going over into paying something that's $60 just to play pretty much essentially the same type of mode that I can play on Fortnite. Yeah, Fortnite is not as fresh as say what a blackout mode could offer right now because blackout mode obviously is the newest kid on the block when it comes to the battle royale genre but i still am leery about what will be the future for the call of duty franchise this is a big move for them this is almost as big as when they introduced the zombie mode which has been such a big success for them over the years but ditching the campaign mode i think has turned off some it's enlightened others. And like you said, there is a lot of talk out there. There is a lot of interest in social media. Whether or not that translates into sales beyond what Red Dead Redemption 2, I have my doubts on that because as you and I both know, Rockstar games seem to have a continuous amount of legs. And while I don't expect that game to reach the heights of anywhere near what Grand Theft Auto 5 does, I do think it will outsell in the long run what Call of Duty Black Ops 4 would do, 
But that's not to say that Call of Duty Black Ops 4 is going to be down from previous years. I think with the interest and fresh blood that Blackout offers to people that they may actually get involved and invested in Call of Duty again. It's kind of funny because you take away something good that people wanted, but most people that they say, according to what their statistics said, only dealt through it once or not even at all, and add something in there that just accentuates the multiplayer platform and doesn't give anyone that just really wants to have a singular Call of Duty experience anything to latch onto at all. Right, and that's interesting too because you bring up the point of it, it basically it becomes you know like a it's an MMO for all sense of purposes. Well, in MMO, yeah, but it it seems more like I well, okay, a multiplayer experience. It's a destiny, or it's basically Counter Strike. You know, there's not really a your terrorist versus non-terrorist or whatever you want to call it. It's not connected to anything really. really. Well, allegedly, Counter Strike's connected to the Valve games, but no one's ever proven that. So it's just kind of like when you only have your multiplayer elements it does remove the lore that's why they have all these different ghosts and black ops and modern warfare if they remove the single player aspects of it it just is call of duty is just a name like there's not really they're kind of deleting the whole franchise and just giving people a multiplayer game i don't know it almost in the end would feel like it's something if this is something they want to pursue it would be something that would lose out to a free-to-play model because they're not giving players much more than just a multiplayer experience, which Fortnite does for free. And I understand the studio that is behind Black Ops 4. I know it was their turn to go and create this game because they have three alternating studios creating different Call of Duty games in the series. When it comes down to it, if you were to ask me, or ask a lot of people which is their favorite parts of the Call of Duty series or the favorite Call of Duty itself, I would say they would probably have to be the Modern Warfare series. So I ask you, would it have been a better idea to maybe incorporate into a Modern Warfare setting instead of a Black Ops setting? Black Ops has been very successful for them, although it's been also part of the decline in sales over the past few years because Black Ops 3 did not perform as well as other games in the franchise. But I ask you, might it have been better for maybe an association for casual gamers out there, maybe revisiting the modern warfare scenario instead? I think it's just a moment in time, honestly. Like, Battle Royale's doing really well. Call of Duty wanted to, I don't know, try something new or, or try to cash in on the Battle Royale train that's currently going. But it was just black ops it was their turn to go out and they happened to coincide with the explosion of the battle royale genre and i think that the game was not big enough for battle royale and single player so they decided to go on what they thought was going to be the most marketable and whether or not that pays off in the end we'll have to see but i can't imagine them removing the single player altogether but at this point like if this is successful it sounds like it might be something that they would want to look into I still have my doubts long-term about it because, as you and I both know, these cycles in gaming, when it comes to like the horde mode, which everybody tried to duplicate, zombie mode, which everybody tried to duplicate as well, those come and go, those go in cycles, although the zombies are still somewhat here and around. Obviously, the zombies are still a favorite part of the Call of Duty series. But when it comes to something like the Battle Royale genre, I don't see it lasting forever. 
So at some point in time, Call of Duty is probably going to get off that. And whether or not they go back to a single player campaign mode on it and say, oh, yeah, it's back and it's great and it's better than ever as a selling tool, that could be something. But you're right, at least for the next year, two, maybe, or even more, we could be seeing the Battle Royale blackout or a version of it added into future Call of Duty installments as well. Well, it also raises the question, too, of what's going to happen when Battle Royale is no longer popular, or if in the long run, Fortnite, the free-to-play model of Fortnite, like I said earlier, becomes a more preferred option over playing, like, you know, paying 60 bucks for a just a Battle Royale game with some zombie stuff on it. What happens when when that goes down or when Battle Royale fizzles out, if it ever does, what's called are you going to do with a defunct single-player mode? Maybe that's a good marketing strategy to be like, hey, we're reintroducing the single player three or four years down the line. But what do you think of that scenario? That's probably what we'll see happening because Call of Duty will continue unless the numbers really go downhill, will continue to be a yearly installment. And at some point, the Battle Royale, bad, whatever you want to call it, the interest level will probably wane off at least a little bit, if not more, at some point. So it will necessitate at some distinct point in time, they will reintroduce either a campaign or some type of other multiplayer centric mode that maybe we haven't even thought of yet. My question to you now is with all that said and done in regards to Call of Duty Black Ops 4 being such a major part of the holiday season, you said there was more interest and talk in social media in regards to Black Ops 4 over games such as Red Dead Redemption 2, do you think in the long run that this will lead to higher sales for Black Ops 4 and high enough sales that it will pass and exceed what we're expecting out of Red Dead Redemption 2? Because I don't think it will. I just think the Rockstar name has such a high value because of what we've seen out of the Grand Theft Auto series. I think right now they have a little bit better name out there than the call of duty series going forward but this might change i think the race might be a little bit closer than we're anticipating what are your thoughts on call of duty black ops 4 do you see it achieving a higher success rate than previous recent installments of the call of duty series share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com popculturecosmos humanica media and game source on facebook and twitter as well we also want to hear your thoughts. Just send us a DM or, or tweet or what have you on Blackout itself. Your thoughts on it. Is it a Fortnite killer? Is it a PUBG killer? Let us know if you think it's better than both those games as far as the mode known as Blackout, which is their version that's hitting with the Battle Royale mix added into it. Coming up right after the break, we've got Mike Faber of the ESO Network and Kevin Eldridge of the Flopcast. They're going to be by talking the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The nominees, again, were announced a few days ago. We're going to share our thoughts on who we think of those nominees should go in. And then also, Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Patriot Podcast, he's going to stop by with some notes from Week 6 in the NFL and also some other things as well. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. Looking for an edge the next time you take on your favorite video game? Then check out Vitabrace High Performance Gamer Wristbands. Packed with the power of fruit seed oil, Vitabrace is clinically proven to help improve performance, giving you a better gaming experience. 
Head to MiracleFruitOil.com and use the promo code MEDIA10 to get $10 off your Vitabrace purchase. Whether you're looking to beat the time on your latest speed run or are fighting your way to the top on your favorite multiplayer or battle royale, Vitabrace can help you reach your gaming goals. Buy Vitabrace today at MiracleFruitOil.com. That's MiracleFruitOil.com. Vitabrace. Win with it. And we're back of the show. This is Gerald Glassford once again from the Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thank you so much for being part of today's program. Well, it is that time of the year, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I think should change its name to the Music Hall of Fame because they no longer really always represent rock and roll. But that's for another day. They did announce their nominees for the upcoming 2019 class for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is our annual we like or we do not like session each and every year when it comes to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And we've actually got included someone else this time besides myself and, of course, my usual guest for this. It is Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast and also Mike Faber from the ESO Network. Guys, it's great to have you on the show. Kevin, no chicken avatar. What's up with that? Oh, I believe they may be hiding behind the scenes, but there is no shortage of chickens here in Chicken Town, where we do the Flopcast from. They're everywhere. Mike, it's great to have you finally on the Pop Culture Cosmos. We have been a happy part of the ESO Network for going on two years now, and it's been an awesome experience. You, Kevin, and everyone at the ESO Network has been tremendous to us, and I want to say publicly, it's just a great honor to be a part of your network. Well, you're part of the family, and it's just a great honor to have PCC part of it. And I can't believe 24 months, and I'm just on the show now. (laughs) Always welcome. You know, that red carpet is always there out for you now. Just wanted to say I apologize for not getting you on here sooner. First off, we got to talk about the actual nominees themselves. It's kind of like, I don't know, it seems like it's a little bit smaller more subdued crowd than normal. And the reason why I say that, we have a lot of returning nominees, but no real like blockbuster standouts, in my opinion, than normal. No automatic one-two punch type deals. This year's nominees include Def Leppard, Devo, Janet Jackson, John Prine, Kraftwerk, LL Cool J, MC5, Radiohead, Rage Against the Machine, Roxy Music, Stevie Nicks, The Cure, Todd Rundgren, Rufus and Shaka Khan, and the Zombies. Poor Shaka Khan. I think she's (laughs) been on it since year one or something. It seems like it's been a long time for a lot of these nominees. So I think if this is the year they're going to get in, I think this would be the year. Because like I was saying previously, that I think in previous years, there was always like two, three, or four headline acts that that were no-brainers in going in that were taking up those spots away from these other nominees, which people would say maybe borderline or what have you. Mike, I'm going to start with you. Your thoughts on the nominees for the Hall of Fame. And if you had five to choose from, in your opinion, that have to go in out of all these qualified candidates, which ones would you choose? See, that's tough for me because for me, it is a stronger class this year. There's no like true blockbuster classic rock band that is due to go in. That's like a total innovator. But now, you know, you're starting to get more f- 
settled into it but you have some amazing bands out there and for me it was tough actually to choose just five i put roxy music because you had brian ferry you also had brian eno producing this was just amazing stuff there wouldn't be a lot of duran duran or the whole generation of very suave very cool type music that roxy music basically laid the ground for I think this is the year Janet Jackson is finally going to make it in. She's She's got pretty good odds, I would probably say, this year. Of yeah, she doesn't have a lot of competition this year, and she has more number one hits than Stevie Nicks already has. And Stevie Nicks is already on the ballad, and I think she's deserving, but she's also made it in with Fleetwood Mac already. So I definitely think this is Janet's year. Also, John Prine. John Prine is one of those crossover artists. He does country, he does folk, he does rock. And he also set the table for a lot of later folk singers and singers like Bonnie Raitt and such. And I think he is a trendsetter. And I definitely think he should be a first ballad entry. I also think Def Leppard is a first entry right there. Def Leppard was 80s music at its best. When you thought of MTV generation, Def Leppard was right up there. And I'm not even going to make an arm joke or anything for this part. They've given blood, sweat, and tears and arms. What the hell? But I definitely think Def Leppard is deserving. And for my last pick, I was going to do The Cure because Robert Smith and crew was new wave at its best. And they are the kings of goth music. But I'm going to take a little swerve right here. I'm going to say MC5, who basically established the Detroit sound coming out of the late 60s, early 70s. And they are hard rockers and they have a sound so unique that has been copied by so many artists like Guns N' Roses, Metallica, so many others. It's just amazing that they haven't been initiated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So that's my five. And of course, it couldn't be a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame discussion without you, my friend, Kevin. So let us know, what are your thoughts on five artists that are in there? Which of the five you would choose to go in and be elected for that great honor for the 2019 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? All right. And, you know, this is kind of a special year for me as far as the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because uh, since the last time we spoke about the Hall of Fame, I finally went out to Ohio and I visited the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame earlier this year. For all the complaining we do about it, it's a magnificent facility to visit. It's really, really wonderful. You could spend a week there. We were there for a few hours and it's fantastic. So yeah, this is quite a diverse list that we're looking at this year. And if I had to pick my five that I would go with, some of mine would be some reruns from Mike's list, uh, Def Leppard, I'm an 80s kid. Last year, those big 80s arena acts really kind of dominated the Hall of Fame and that we got Bon Jovi and we got the Cars and we got Dire Straits and they, they all got waved in in the one big uh, arena rock of a year for, for the Hall of Fame. That might keep going this year with Def Leppard. I think once you open the door and let Bon Jovi in, I think we, <laughs> we might as well let Def Leppard in. Do you still those- have your Pyromania t-shirt on standby? <laughs> it's always ready to go <laughs> or, or hysteria or hysteria don't forget hysteria oh that those were such monster albums uh absolutely so def leopard i'm going to go along with mike on that 
And I'm also going to go along with Mike on Janet Jackson. Not a big Janet Jackson fan particularly, but she was so massive culturally and part of it as the 80s was shifting, that the back half of the 80s as we were moving towards really the emphasis on dance music really taking over the top 40 and, and the rock and the pure pop was kind of taking a backseat to that the modern R&B and dance stuff. And Janet, even more so than her brother, arguably for a while there, was really taking the lead on that and was uh, such a massive popular superstar. So uh, I think Janet definitely deserves to get in as well. A band that the very first time we talked about the Hall of Fame on the Flopcast, which was probably six years ago, this was one of my top bands that I really, really would love to see in, and that's Devo. And hand-in-hand hand with Devo, I think, would be Kraftwerk, who obviously they've been on the list before. But these two super influential, so important, and coming out of the, the 70s and synth-based music, they go hand-in-hand in, hand in a way, I think. Even though Devo was more guitar-based, they still have that kind of robotic synthy sound when they want to and i think that going against them is you know Kraftwerk certainly did not make an impact commercially in america devo barely made an impact commercially in america you know that the devo even though everybody knows them they had you know one and a half hit songs i hope that people don't dismiss them as a novelty and i'm also wondering if it's interesting to see both those bands together on the same list of nominees for the same year are they going to cancel each other out the presence of both these bands on the same list, will they kind of choke each other out and both neither band make the cut? Or will the presence of one be able to <laughs> push the other one into being inducted? That'll be interesting to see. Well, that will be interesting to see. And you know what? On my list, guess what? Devo is on there. And if it is their first time that they've been nominated, it is long overdue. And I'll tell you what, with Devo, they really revolutionized a new wave sound. And as also a child from the 80s, I think, well, a teenager from the 80s, I should say. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. All of us are teenagers. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're exactly. not children of the 80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if that's the case, I am going to go with Devo as one of my first choices because of the fact that they had such a heavy influence, even to this day, in regards to a new wave synthesized sound that actually you heard quite recently on Thor Ragnarok as far as their score is concerned. Because... I wonder who was responsible for it. <laughs> Mark Motherspaugh from Devo, of course. Even though they didn't have number one hits, they were still such an influence on the early 80s. That's why my second choice would be Kraftwerk. And this is something I've spoken to you before about, Kevin, especially yeah. now with the heavy DJ sound, the heavy recorded sound, edited sound, produced sound that's out there. You see DJs get millions of dollars. They go to Las Vegas. They go to Dubai. They go to all over and they, they get all this attention, Marshmallow, and the list goes on and on as far as who is important now in the music industry, that all these other bands, the Chainsmokers, everybody wants to go ahead and perform with them and, and all that. All those DJs, all those heavily edited type of songs get a heavy influence from Crawford. And I've spoken to DJs before about the influence of Kraftwerk. I love their music personally. So yes, it would be great to see them go in. I've got three more to choose from as far as artists are concerned. And I'm going to go with Def Leppard because I already talked about and already spoke about their cultural influence even to this day. Janet Jackson, 
You guys have spoken so highly about her and her cultural influence and her success when she was the artist with heavy R&B influence that really transcends today. And the career, the quality, the number of songs that she had that just truly transformed an era, a part of time that, that just truly we can't forget. And I think Janet Jackson deserves to go in. And last but not least, my fifth choice is a little bit different from you guys. It is LL Cool J. And and I know it's not because of his work with NCIS Los Angeles, his work as far as a rap artist, I think qualifies for me. And I think the influence that he has with younger rap artists, they still mention him quite frequently as a mentor, as an influence, as someone that they want to emulate, and that he was able to transition that into a successful entertainment career as a whole. And I think he's also going to be someone that if any year is going to be it, this is going to be it because they're just going to try and nominate him enough times until he actually gets in the hall himself. Yeah, I would not be surprised to see LL get in this year, especially since they did not induct a rap artist last year. I think they might be looking to make up for that. And uh, this might be LL's uh, turn. I mean, certainly, I, I, don't, I don't know too much about his work, but I know that he's one of the originals. This was one of the first rap artists that was charting in the top 40 back in the 80s so i think well if you don't know that mama said knock you out (laughs) yes she did i think i still owe you one of my picks actually gerald i I forgot to mention but it's another rerun from mike's list but that's mc5 i'm going along with that pick as well all right well that's some great thoughts tell you what guys it's been great having you on the show but before we head on out i want to hear why your shows on both the eso network for you mike and the flopcast for you kevin are so awesome mike I'm going to have you go off first on why the ESO Network is the place to go for everything geek. Well, because it is a station by geeks for geeks. And it is right now 27 different shows, all filled with fun geekiness. And we basically, you know, talk about any topic you could think of that's geek related. There's shows like PCC, there's the Flopcast, there's Dr. Geek, which talks about science. We have the Pro Wrestling Roundtable. And then we also have Earth Station Who, which is a Doctor Who podcast. We have multiple Doctor Who podcasts, you know, a literature podcast. We have a podcast talking about mysteries. We have podcasts talking about queer versions of Doctor Who. You know, it's amazing what geek culture could be about. And as we say on Earth Station One, You could be a geek about anything. And Earth Station One is your place for everything geek. And, you know, that's what the ESO Network represents. It's a family of shows that represent everything that's geek. And you can find us, of course, at esonetwork.com. Instagram, on Twitter, just reach out to them. Got to check out everything that they have to offer with all the great shows, including ours, Kevin, the PCC, the PCC Multiverse, and, of course, the awesome show, The Flopcast, which has an unusual fascination with Saturday morning television and some chickens every now and then. Yeah, The Flopcast is uh, my little corner of the ESO network. And yeah, our show tends to be probably the silliest, goofiest show on the network, I think. I hope that's what we're striving for. And you strive for it well. You aim high. We do tend to talk about chickens a lot for no particular reason, but beyond that, it's a lot of 
pop culture based, uh, especially stuff from the 70s and 80s, uh, 70s, 80s nostalgia talk, a lot of music talk. I think uh, we talk more about music than probably most of the other shows on the network. We go out to concerts all the time and report about them on the show. We go to conventions. I'm going to a convention and a concert tomorrow, actually. So we have a lot to talk about coming up. I'm only half of the Flopcast because I have a wonderful co-host who people tend to like way more than me. That's Cornflake, and she's the best, so you get to hear Cornflake when you tune in as well. It's not just me whining about the monkeys every week. And you can find us at Flopcast.net. That's right. It's Flopcast.net. You check out all their great shows. You're up to, what, 330-something, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, wow, that is correct. We are in the 330s as far as total episodes. We've been putting out an episode every single week without fail for about six and a half years now. You guys are nothing compared to us. <laughs> We're just getting started. Compared I know, to when, you get to, when you get to the big boys at the ESO network, just let them know. Just let them know. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> when you guys what? pass 400, then I'll start being impressed. That's right, because you're, you're in the 400s now, correct? Yep, we're coming up very quickly on episode 450. Wow, wow, that's amazing. I know I've done about 450, 500 combined, as, and I looked oh, at it. That's, yeah, not, that's, not, that's, that's not our combined. That's not our combined. Our combined no, no. is probably over 1,000, because we, yeah, we also do the Dragon Con report, and we also do Earth Station Who, and Earth Station Who is five episodes short right now of our 200th episode. Wow, that's just amazing. And you both should be applauded for your longevity within the podcasting realm. Or and maybe you guys should be committed like myself. I don't know. <laughs> well, my wife says there's a room with a straitjacket waiting for me. Exactly. Well, you'll just call it a soundproof room. And a great place to record, nice and quiet. But uh, <laughs> probably for me as well, you know. Guys, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show having you part of the actual scene here talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Just truly a pleasure to have you both on. That is Mike Faber from the ESO Network and Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast. Guys, it's so great to have you on the show, part of the program, and of course, right here, a part of the pop culture cosmos. Okay, let's talk about the Flopcast. Where every week we drink a lot of coffee and we talk about comic books, movies, conventions, music, Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, don't forget the coffee. Lots of weird, obscure pop culture stuff from the 70s and 80s. And chickens. Yeah, chickens. This will be the stupidest half hour of your week. We guarantee it. You can find us on the ESO Network. And... Flopcast.net. And we're back with the show. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. But it wouldn't be a fantasy football pater podcast without the guru. Of fantasy football, he is the man behind the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. Full episodes are available each and every week on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and over thirty different podcast outlets. And is my good friend, and boy, we have we got some stuff to talk about today. <laughs> it is Tyler Baker. What's going on, man? I'm doing well. The Redskins won, so I'm a happy man. So, okay, let me ask you this. 
if you had to weigh one over the other, mm-hmm. fantasy football success or Redskins success? Redskins. Dude, I'm a fan. I love football. I just love watching football. I'm in so many leagues and I'm stretched in so many different directions that it's really easy for me on Sundays to just shut it off. Like I've set my lineups and where one guy is going to win me one league, he's going to cause me to lose in another league. So, you know, Sunday morning, I just double check my lineups. I set them and then I enjoy football. So that ends the fantasy football Pater podcast. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, no, no. He, we're going to stay on the air. It is, once again, Tyler Baker. Great to have you here, as always, my friend. It was a very interesting and also yeah. very injury-riddled week six in the NFL. Share us your thoughts on some of the big movements, big things that went on in week six, but also a lot of injuries as well. Something that I wasn't expecting down in Miami, there was a Brock Osweiler sighting and he showed up for Tannehill. Tannehill had an injury he's been dealing with since week six. I didn't think it was that serious. He had been practicing and then all of a sudden this morning he was inactive and Brock Osweiler was going to go face the Bears. And I thought, man, this could be a train wreck. Not so much. Brock Osweiler completing over 60% of his passes, 380 yards three touchdowns, two interceptions, you know, not stellar numbers, but Brock Osweiler's stellar numbers. And it was enough to beat the bears today. I've got a better one for you, my friend. Uh huh. There was also another unexpected appearance at the quarterback position in Buffalo where <laughs> Josh Allen, their prized rookie. He went down with, I believe an elbow injury. If I'm not mistaken, he was really hurting who comes in <laughs> to save the day, but Nathan Peterman. Yes. And the hey, NFL's they, best quarterback that's out there. And I'm being yeah. highly facetious. In fact, you would probably say he might be the actual worst NFL quarterback I've seen in quite some time. Well, I'll tell you, his numbers were down today. He only threw two interceptions. Yes, yes. So, but, so but one of them had to be a pick six. One of them yeah. always has to be a pick six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, of course, alluding to that five interception half of football that he had in his debut last season. He comes in, throws a couple picks, throws a pick six, like you said. Poor Buffalo. (laughs) They just, poor Buffalo. They're definitely in a rebuilding year. And wouldn't it be great, like just daydreaming, I can't help but think how awesome it would be if the Bills traded LaShawn McCoy back to Philadelphia and got a decent pick for him. You know, the Eagles have two second round picks. Now, I don't know if they want to give up a second round pick for a LaShawn McCoy, but with those two second round picks, they could give up a third. And wouldn't that be great if they could ship a third round draft pick off, get LaShawn McCoy in and help stabilize that running game there in Philadelphia. I'm just daydreaming here, but wouldn't that be great? I think both sides win there. I think they would as well, but Letting go of Tyrod Taylor, it looks to be an even dumber move for Buffalo. No, he didn't perform in the way that we thought he might have in Cleveland. He was given very little time in Cleveland to progress. They obviously wanted to put Baker Mayfield on there. Uh, So I will say this, that if there is a point in time when Tyrod Taylor gets another chance, I think he's going to be able to prove himself could that come back again in Buffalo? No, it won't because there's some harsh feelings there that will never be replaced. But Nathan Peterman is not the answer long-term as a replacement for Josh Allen. 
And Josh Allen better get healthy real quick because it's just going to be another train wreck after another train wreck. Because you got to look at it with Nathan Peterman, 10% of his passes in his career <laughs> been intercepted. yeah yeah i think no matter what the question is nate peterman's not the answer no no it isn't but there was a lot of injuries that went on this weekend in the nfl i'll tell you what man i know the raiders tried to call you they wanted you to play guard because i think <laughs> they were running out of bodies on the offensive line i know amari cooper got a concussion I know also as well for the Rams, Cooper Cup again got injured. There were several injuries across the board when it came to the NFL. Well, Gruden is into older players that are past their prime. I think I think I've got a shot. There you go. There you go. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be I'll be waiting for that phone call. Yeah, Cooper Cup still haven't heard anything exactly what's going on there, but they are deep at receivers. So as far as the team's concerned, they'll be fine. And of course, and, and I heard uh, he was questionable that time they got injured in the game for the rest of the game. So maybe it's something that's not going to be serious long-term. Yeah, I hope so. Because what he brings to that offense, he's just so good. And he has a really good rapport there with Jared Goff. If he does miss time, of course, Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods stock will go up. Also the tight end there. But this team is just going to keep on rolling. Rams are just going to keep on rolling. What about also as you know, when you're talking about Amari Cooper as a wide receiver, his impact on the Oakland Raiders? Yes, they are considered to be one of the worst, although maybe the worst. It's kind of hard as to far toss up, in my opinion, right now between them and Arizona, who is worse. But Amari Cooper, one of their main standouts on that team, he's out with concussion. Is there anybody that you think is deserving of the slack? Because Derek Carr has to throw it to somebody on the offense, doesn't he? He does. I think Seth Roberts, he's been there for a while. I think he's probably the biggest beneficiary. Martavis Bryant is still there. As far as fantasy purposes, I don't know if you weren't too happy with Amari Cooper to begin with. You were you were really stressing every week that you had to start him. And it seemed like one week, like the even weeks, he'd have a great game. The, the odd weeks, he'd have a terrible game. So there was really a back and forth there. In fact, in a lot of leagues... Amari Cooper's probably been on the bench half the time. I don't know if taking a shot with any of those other receivers to get them onto your roster, maybe to play keep away. I don't think you want to start any of those guys. Once again, it is Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. Check out our full episodes today on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel, available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and over 30 different podcast outlets. My friend, it's been great talking to you. Great having you part of the show. Great having you part of the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. And of course, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back with the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thanks so much to Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Patriot Podcast. 
for coming on the show. Also as well, Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast and Mike Faber of the ESO Network. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing your thoughts on our program today. Remember to catch their shows, the Flopcast, and all the great ESO Network stuff on ESOPodcast.com or ESONetwork.com as well. And don't forget to nominate us for the Discover Pods Awards. Let us know if you went ahead and nominated us for the Best Society and Culture Podcast, Best Entertainment, or the Best Overall Podcast of 2018. You can catch the link today on our Facebook page at Game Source, Pop Culture Cosmos, and hopefully, if I can remind him to do so, or maybe I'll just go ahead and pin it myself, on Humanica Media as well. Also, we're being played around the world seven days a week, and you can get a schedule on where we're at via radio stations or also podcast networks. And you can find that schedule on our Facebook page, Game Source and Pop Culture Cosmos. Josh, you got a great thing going on with Humanica Media. So give us the info, my friend. Let us into that secret dark place known as Humanica Media. Share the goods, man. What's going on with Humanica Media? Oh, uh, we got a new topic, Ocalypse, dropping tomorrow. Right now, you can check out one that went up last week called Adulting. We talk about why adulting is difficult and why we can't do it and why we're unqualified to even be talking about it. So that's fun. Also, we're on the Podcast Radio Network on Tuesdays. Gerald, tell them what time. You're so mean. You always laid a pressure on me. It's a good thing I remember. Topicocalypse appears every Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. I remember that because I know you're going to get me on it. 25 years, man. 25 years ago, this past weekend, theaters were graced across the U.S. with a poignant story and one of Tim Burton's finest movie achievements. And that was A Nightmare Before Christmas. I wanted to talk about it with you, my friend, because it did turn 25 this weekend. I want to ask you your thoughts on the not, not only the movie itself, but the cultural relevancy, because even to this day, I mean, you go to a topic, you go across the internet, you see a lot of people still have a lot of fondness and love for it. I mean, even to the point where it comes to the fact that you're still going to Halloween stores and there is a full display a full section devoted to A Nightmare Before Christmas because it has remained so relevant. And this comes after a film that hasn't been played on television very much and also didn't even garner over $100 million at the box office worldwide because it only played in the U.S. It's weird with that one. I, I don't even think Disney knew how successful that that was going to be. When I think about The Nightmare Before Christmas, I think about it in the same way I think about Clerks. You know, Clerks no one really knew what Clerks was at first. Nobody cared. But then it slowly became like a cult classic. Clerks or Boondock Saints or whatever you want to call it. I think that uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, basically the Clerks or Boondock Saints of Disney. Or Office Space or, or a lot of these other things as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think that Disney kind of started to notice that it had a special place in certain people's hearts. You know, they go to Hot Topic and buy the T-shirts or whatever. And the little I remember the VHS came with a little like Jack Skellington toy that you could play with. It kind of gained momentum. It took it a long time. Well, it took it, what, 10 years, 10, 15 years to gain momentum. But I think when Disney finally started noticing that they could market it, then they took advantage of that, started popping up at Disneyland and putting it in the uh, Haunted Mansion ride and getting the merch out everywhere, reproducing the movies. It has had a very unique impact on the pop culture realm, especially like the, the emo scene. You know, I was reaching out on 
Facebook looking for uh, emo screamo bands that people like. And you look up a lot of these bands on like their websites and stuff and you see little banners of Nightmare Before Christmas stuff. So it, it has bled into a lot of the different subcultures that exist within the things that we like to talk about. And I don't know exactly what caused that. I think it's just a tidal wave of people going back to it because even the younger generations are now watching the movies and, and picking up the merch and all that stuff. So it, it's just it's not momentum or at, you know a, a positive avalanche i guess like it's just it's just picked up speed and collected more interest and it's still going i don't really see it stopping anytime soon well it's just so interesting to see like i said i've been to halloween stores this year already and i've been to several of them and the amount of space that they devote to jack skellington and sally who are the integral parts of the movie and their love story and and the tremendous singing that they've provided and the, the songs and the whole animation, which earned an Academy and Award nomination and all that the year it came out. It's just so, so interesting to see how these cult classics just bloom and just grow. The film itself, it's just such a part of our culture. It's in, even in video games, the, the Kingdom Hearts, we, we've, we spoke about as far as all the different Disney properties, it's part of that as well. But Let's, let's take, for example, like something like Shawshank Redemption, which did nothing at the box office, very small numbers, comparatively speaking, just like A Nightmare Before Christmas. But, but in the case of Shawshank Redemption, it found a new life. It found a great appreciation because of the fact it kept repeating on TV so many different times during the period of the latter 90s and early 2000s to the point where it just became so appreciated and understood as far as a great film that it is. In the case of A Nightmare Before Christmas, it wasn't given that kind of TV love repeatedly and shown at such a level where, where people could grow that fondness for it. People have had to search out why this movie is so special and to understand why and how this movie worked so well the first time around because like i said it did not even generate over a hundred million dollars in its total combined box office and yet it is still far surpassed many of the more how should i say well-known or well-watched disney properties that they've had and it's just interesting to see that this movie with its characters with sally with jack skellington have been able to grow in popularity only more and more with each passing year i don't know here's an interesting aspect of it let me throw this at you i remember growing up and having friends who weren't actually allowed to watch it and so just being cut off from it garnered more interest in it as they were getting older and you know a lot of people i know actually went back and watched it for the first time five or six years after it came out so i don't know maybe it's got a bit of like deadpool syndrome to it but you know, again, like the whole emo and goth cultures were founded on Nightmare Before Christmas merch, though. So you have a, a lot of people who listen to Hawthorne Heights and wear uh, Nightmare Before Christmas stuff like that was the cool thing to do. And I think that eventually whoever did the marketing for Disney or does the marketing for Disney caught on to that. And that's what kind of created this whole thing where they're like oh well let's go back and see just how interested people were in this because there's a lot of old disney properties that nobody really cares about but i guarantee you that if people start wearing like great mouse detective shirts eventually people are going to walk around and be like great mouse detective what is that and they're going to go back and watch it and it's going to become popular it's 
it's very interesting. I think there's a psychological aspect to it as well as just a the fact that it's a classic movie. I agree with you on that. There is something more. There has to be something more when it comes to why the Nightmare Before Christmas has touched upon so many lives after its initial release in theaters. Because as I've said before, it didn't achieve the heights and the levels that obviously a movie that is still so popular and a property that is still so beloved, even to this day, deserved or should have garnered in the first place. And that's that part of it, I was just it's just a shame. But maybe it's helped to cultivate this cult status, cultivate this popularity and help it grow because of the fact it did not achieve that outstanding success on the silver screen. I will say this that at some point in time you must go out of your way to see a, a nightmare before Christmas and understand why it's so special and why it has retained so much love and even grown into even more than a cult status to even where people that have never even had a chance to see the movie still understands who Jack Skellington and Sally are when they walk by a store, a, a retail outlet or online or a Halloween store and see those Jack Skellington outfits and Sally outfits and understand that Nightmare Before Christmas must be really special as it now hits its 25th year. What are your thoughts on A Nightmare Before Christmas? Did you see it? Have you loved it? Are you one of the many millions of people out there that embraced it so many years after its initial release? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. And happy birthday to Nightmare Before Christmas. 25 years old. That just means you and I have gotten a lot older, Josh. Before we head on out, I also got to ask you, my friend, about Iron Fist. The word came down late on Friday that Iron Fist has now been canceled by Netflix. It is the first in the series of shows that are out there, the cooperational effort between those two entities. This is the first show to get the axe. The first season was truly awful. It's just universally panned. The second season, even though it got a little bit better in most people's eyes, I just think there was a lot of bad taste in a lot of people's mouths that had not wanted to tune in from the first season. Your thoughts on Iron Fist getting canceled because it's created a lot of controversy and a lot of word of mouth, a lot of varying opinions on it and the whole Netflix Marvel thing as a whole since the news came down that Iron Fist is not coming back for season three. That's very surprising to say the least. I know the first season wasn't that great, but second season did get better and it was getting decent reception and a lot of people like if you read the season two spoiler articles a lot of people were really stoked about where season three could go because i don't know if you saw it but they started to dive into like more of the origin stories of you know what happened to the to the former iron fist which you see his you know you get to see he's part of his body in the uh season two but yeah i for one like i i thought season two was okay you know it wasn't wasn't excellent but it was uh, far better than the first season and then I loved where they were going. Like, I love the whole dynamic between Ward and, and Danny Rand in the end and how he had the ability to charge bullets that, with his uh, iron fist. Like, that was really cool to me. Like, and I was really excited to see where that's going. But I'm disappointed, honestly, to, to like, 
put it into words. Like I, I really wanted to see where they were going with this. I get the struggle of now because they kind of entered a more fantastical realm as far as Iron Fist goes. Because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but they kind of diverged a lot from the basic plot line that they were originally following, and now it's kind of all over the place. So I want to see more. I I get why they're not doing it, but I want to ask you this though. Do you think that this could be just the beginning of more cancellations? Because, you know, there's Disney's putting out their streaming service and there's feuds, I guess, kind of going on between Netflix and Marvel. They were saying that Danny Rand is going to show up again, you know, whether it's in Luke Cage or Daredevil or, or Jessica Jones but or Defenders. But from what I understand, even Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, like those numbers are dropping significantly compared to what they once were. It's hard to figure that out because Netflix never releases its numbers. Yeah, they never release it. But just from like as far as critical reception goes, a lot of people, there's not as much hype around those shows as there used to be. So I'm wondering if maybe that's a factor. But I have a feeling this is going to be the beginning. Like there's there's going to be more as Marvel starts pushing out their own stuff. There's going to be more cancellations. And eventually we're going to see the complete death of all original Marvel content on Netflix. Well, I agree with you. And that's something I was going to actually ask you is, is, is this a precursor for something larger? Because at some point in time, Marvel wants to go ahead and get everything off of all those other places and only put them on Disney related content. Obviously, ABC counts because Disney owns it. But we're talking mainly about that new Disney streaming service. And they want to provide as much content as they can for that. And whether it's going to be a Defender show there or Defender shows that stays on Netflix, I think at some point in time, you're going to see Luke Cage, Jessica Jones both get canceled. You're also going to probably see some other favorites get canceled as well. The only one I think that might stay around a little bit longer is Daredevil because even in this third season, it's still getting very strong reviews. I know a lot of advanced word. I was on actually on our friends at the Voice from the Underground podcast just recently and they were talking about all the advanced love that that show was getting even so far in the season. That's the oldest of all these different series. So put that together. I still think there's going to be a lot of love for Daredevil. But you're right. There is some diminishing returns as far as what people are talking about, how much people are liking, not liking. When it concerns the Defenders, the Jessica Jones, the even to the, comes to the Punisher, which barely is, even has gotten off the ground, do I think it's going to get a fair shake? I think it's still going to get another season, but I'm not sure as far as the future for even that show is concerned because the love fest, like you said, between Marvel and Netflix, that has definitely gone away with the announcement that the Disney streaming service is on its way. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what's going to go on with what their content that they're going to be producing for it that's Marvel-related. But it's going to come at a cost, and I think it's going to come at a cost of the stuff that you see on Netflix. Well, I'll tell you what this does, though, at least in my eyes. It makes it so I don't even really want to watch it. I don't want even want to get attached to any more Marvel characters going out on Netflix or just in general because – that's the problem with shows like you you think that these original series like on Netflix and stuff are untouchable but this just goes to show that they're not. So why am I going to invest myself into a character now if it's just going to get shut down, you know, a year from now, 2 years from now? What are your thoughts out there everyone on The Iron Fist getting canceled from Netflix? We really love to hear your thoughts on it because we have been already the past few days a lot of people have been talking back and forth 
on the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page in regards to it once we posted the information that Iron Fist is now finito. But we'd love to hear your thoughts on that and the bigger picture going forward for the Marvel shows on Netflix. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Any last thoughts, my friend, on the way out? Daredevil Season 3 is coming on at the end of the month, so tune in for that. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it. Absolutely. When you know, we talk about something bad that happened within the Netflix Marvel Universe, and now, like we said, there's still something good. I think they're going to try and keep that show in particular as long as possibly they can. Netflix will try to keep its hands on it and try to keep producing new seasons because I think that show will endure. I think there is a following that's separate from all the other Marvel Netflix shows, I think they will still buy in and the quality of that show is still very good from all appearances. So I expect a lot of good things going for at least that show going forward, whether it's on Netflix or the new Disney streaming service. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. We thank you for listening and here's hoping you have yourself a great day. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. Tangentboundnetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.